Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. It is so good to meet with you on this first Sunday of March and to get to come together and make much of Jesus together. Man, I love our Sundays here at Connect Church. Man, it's been a good Sunday, Pastor Zach. Uh, you know, he's on site. You saw him in the choir. But every so often, I want my guys to take a Sunday off in a sense. I want them to be able to, to sit down and just to be able to sit under preaching and not have the weight of the world on them. And, and so this Sunday, he has just been in the choir, been walking around, been listening to the Word of God, and that he's done a... He's, just does a great job. I love pastors that. But didn't our team do great this morning leading us out? And I was so grateful for them. They did a wonderful job. We had a good week. We had our first ever daddy-daughter dance here at Connect Church. And it was just awesome. Kevin, who's a DJ, who comes here to Connect Church, he was in the first service, did an incredible job. This is no joke. Every dad I've talked to, and some of you dads are out there, I am still sore from the dance party that we had and just the fun time we had with our princesses. So we're so grateful that you guys came out for our daddy-daughter dance. I'm excited about today's message and pray that God will use it big in your heart, in your life. Hey, listen, the gospel is at work around us as well as in the book of Acts. Luke puts pen to paper in order to paint a picture for Theophilus of how God is expanding his kingdom as the gospel is exploding onto the scene. Hey, and not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria, just as Jesus promised in Acts chapter one, verse eight. And as we look to scripture, as the gospel explodes on the scene, it exposes for us something the church must confront and come to grips with chapter after chapter in the book of Acts. In fact, chapter after chapter in your life and mine. And that is simply this. How do we make sense of things that just don't make sense? How do you and I make sense out of things that just don't make sense. I thought of a way of opening today's message and I was gonna go, you know what? Just a couple of things I ran into today on my way to church that just didn't make sense to me, okay? I wanna share one of those with you. This morning, my wife, of course, uh, singing on stage and so that means she's here like at 6.30, 7 o'clock and that means I've got all the rest of the kids. And I'm going to tell you something, that is terrifying. Uh, That is one of the scariest parts of my day, but I love my kids. We all survived. We all cried just a little, but we were here and everybody was clothed and it was just a good morning, right? Well, on my way out, I decided I was going to stop by Burger King uh, to get them. You know, those little croissant things with the uh, bacon, egg and cheese. I love those things. And, and so do my kids. And so we stopped by to get there. So I pull up to the, uh, you know, kind of the menu they have before in the drive through before you get to the window. And I was looking over it and I saw something on the, on the menu that just, it didn't make sense to me. You ready? You know what that says? The Impossible Whopper. How many of y'all have ever eaten the Impossible Whopper yet? Okay, we got a couple. Aaron, how was it? 
So everybody go get one right after service. <laughs> That's cr- You should be their spokes. Listen, uh, and it said impossible burger and it had no meat, right? Which in my opinion makes it impossible to be a burger. But anyway, it had absolutely no meat. And listen, I went and looked this thing up this morning uh, before coming out here. Listen to what it's made of. Not Betsy. Here we go. You ready? It's made with soy protein, potato protein, coconut oil, sunflower oil, and ham. Now listen, I didn't say ham. I said ham, okay? This is a molecule that they add to this impossible burger. And and here's the description, you ready? That makes it look and bleed like real meat. It makes sense to me. It sounds like it's more messy to go with the impossible Whopper than actual the real Whopper that has a face, right? Like, it just doesn't make sense why people, why did you, Aaron, why did you buy this burger? Just come on down to the altar. Let's just go ahead and get this right before, God. no, listen, I just, it doesn't make sense. Well, I'm so glad you did that or that would have killed my um, joke. Anyway, um, also as well, you know, I was getting the kids ready and uh, yeah, every so often, we got kids in diapers and so every so often you got a diaper rash, right? You got to deal with a diaper rash. I dealt with one this morning. Reached into the drawer to grab some diaper rash cream and here's, (laughs) here's what I found. Boudreaux's butt paste. I don't know Boudreaux, but my question is, could he not have come up with a better name than butt paste, right? Like, could he not have named this something like unicorn? I I don't know what what he could have named it, but man, all morning, I've been just looking at things that just don't make sense, and Boudreaux's butt paste to me doesn't make sense. So just in case my message is born, I'll just leave that there. Now, Now listen, I could go on and on just for the few hours that I've been awake of things that just don't make sense. And then I stop for a moment and I think of this. The truth is, is sometimes life doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Things in life sometimes just don't make sense. Hey, what do you do when tragedy strikes for seemingly no reason? Hey, what do you do when it seems like evil men are allowed to continue their injustice against others? What do you do when you've been treated unfairly, unkind, when you're attacked because of your faith? I love Acts chapter 12 because this chapter answers for us, what do you do when nothing around you makes sense? Hey, what do you do when you feel the threat of a global pandemic on your back door? Just stuff that just doesn't make sense. Well, here's the first thing we find in Acts chapter 12. You ready? When life doesn't make sense, praying does. Now, I want to just tell you guys and remind you, you have a sermon note card in the back of the seats there with some blank space. And the reason why I do that is because I don't want to write down what's important for you. I want you to jot down what's important to you that you can stick in your Bible, your purse, in your pocket and take with you. But I'm going to tell you something. Today's message is one you want to take some notes. Hey, when life doesn't make sense, Praying does. Now listen to me, for the believer, prayer is not a last line of defense. It is our greatest weapon when life doesn't make sense. And hey, catch me church, even when it does make sense. 
Hear me, when prayer, where prayer is focused, the power of God falls. And we see that here in Acts chapter 12. Take a look at verse one, it says this, that it was about this time, now remember coming off of Acts chapter 11, we talked about the church that was growing in Antioch, the third largest city in the Roman Empire, but yet there was great ungodliness and rebellion against God. And anytime we see that, there's also a desperate need for the gospel. Well, it was around this time that King Herod had arrested some who belonged to the church, and the Bible says intending to persecute them. Now, I want us to talk about this, King Herod. This guy's been around a long time. Here's the problem. This name, King Herod, has really by this time evolved into a title. The king, the king's real name in Acts chapter 12 is King Agrippa I. And his great granddad was Herod the Great. Now, you remember him? Herod the Great, he was alive during Jesus' birth and a couple of years afterwards and he would be the very one who feared this Messiah to be born, so he would go after all of Bethlehem's children, age two and under, and have them killed. That was his granddad, Agrippa's granddad. You know, I had a thought as I was reading through this this past week. When a community and its leaders rebel against God the greatest, you know who are among the first to suffer? Innocent children. We see a community and its leaders devalue life. And one of the first places they turn is killing their own children. We saw that all the way back in Exodus, right? With Moses, we saw it as Pharaoh thought the Hebrew children would be becoming too plentiful. And so he went out and he set out to kill children. We saw it with Agrippa's granddad and the Bethlehem children who were massacred. Anytime a community and its leaders are in stark rebellion against God, the most innocent among us suffer. And we see that here in the life of these people and Agrippa's grandfather. Now, I want you to remind, remind you of something about Agrippa. Agrippa I, this king, he is a, he's a powerful king. He's a strong king in, in an effort to exert and to display his power. What he begins to do is he begins to go after two of Jesus' original 12 disciples. To go after two of Jesus' boys. To exert his power, to display his power. Hey, talk about defiance against Christ. King Agrippa goes after two of the strongest leaders in the church. Now, real quick, can we learn something from King Agrippa? That the downfall of any leader is a lust for power and a longing for the praise of people. And here we find in Acts chapter 12, King Agrippa is plagued by both. Now watch what it says here in verse two, that he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When I read this last Sunday, in my preparation time for today, do you know the first thought that came into my heart? No, not James, no. Not James. It's part of life that sometimes doesn't make sense in it. James is one of the original 12. Remember James and John, brothers? There with Peter and Jesus, they form that inner circle out of Jesus' disciples. They experience a ton of stuff with Jesus. And yet James is executed at the hands of an evil man. It just doesn't make sense, does it? 
I love what John Piper, a commentator on this passage said in Desiring God. He said this, the Lord showed Herod and the church and even us today that when James was martyred just days before Peter's arrest, it was not because the Lord couldn't save him. It was not because he was weak or incompetent. It was because, among other reasons, Jesus had said to James in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 39, the cup that I drink, you will also drink. James was to suffer as Jesus did. Now, I love what John Piper says. He says, some people bear witness through their death like James and others bear witness through their life. And I want to remind you, church, how God views the death of his children, the death of believers. Watch this in Psalm 116, 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. God doesn't see the death of believers like we see it. It is precious in his sight. And so this is better said in this context. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of James. Even at the hands of an evil king. Well, this continues to play out in verse number three. That when King Agrippa, when he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Hey, listen, James is not enough. I'm going after the leader he says, the applause of people. So this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. Now, what this means is that when Peter was arrested, he could not be executed right away like James. There were some feasts going on, and by Jewish law, nobody could be put to death. And so Peter is going to be arrested and in prison for many days until ultimately he is executed under Agrippa the first. It says this, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded. Now watch this, by four squads of four soldiers each. A little overkill, right? But Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after what the Bible says is Passover. Now watch this. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I look at this passage, I go, four squads? 16 soldiers, a little overkill, but, but not really because Agrippa had heard of Peter's other escape from prison and was determined not to let it happen on his watch. I can imagine the church, upon the news that now Peter is arrested, I can imagine them going, not, not Peter. What are, what are we going to do as a church? This just doesn't make since. Hey, Agrippa, who had killed James by the sword, will execute Peter as well. But the church is praying. Peter is in prison, and yet the prayers of the church is let loose. You ready? When life doesn't make sense, praying does. Hey, after too many terrible and cowardice mass shootings in our nation. Some of our political leaders have been quick to go to platforms such as Twitter or even social media platforms like Facebook. And in response, nearly every recent shooting, a politician has stood up and said, thoughts and prayers are not enough. We need real action. Time and time again, this is said after mass shootings. And I think through that, and I think, you know, really? 
This is a shot across the bow at prayer. As if prayer is in action. And I would argue that the prayer of those that are in Christ are amongst the most powerful actions on the planet Earth because prayer moves the very heart of God. I love what Max Lucado says here. He says, our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. Hey, listen, prayer was not given for us to change God. Rather, praying changes us. We find ourselves in a place and at times where life doesn't make sense. But praying makes sense. And here's what I want you to know, you ready? That God is not interested in lengthy prayers, but he is into people who long to be with him. God is not impressed with eloquent words. He is more concerned about engaging us in conversations that matter. God is not enthralled by religious acts. He desires a relationship that changes everything. Hear me, church. Prayer is powerful, and it makes sense when nothing else does. When life doesn't make sense, it makes sense for you and I to trust in the sovereignty of God. When life doesn't make sense, it does make sense for you and I to trust in the sovereignty of God. Here's the kicker, you ready? Even when we don't have all the answers. Even when we don't have all the answers. I love the word sovereignty. As defined, it is supreme power and authority. This means, it means this, you ready? That there is nothing that lies outside the control of God. There is no one more powerful, nothing more wonderful than he is. It is the reality that his power and authority supersedes, rules over all other power and authority in creation. I began to think, in part of my study this week, I just would stop to think about the sovereignty of God. His power, his might. And I would just get lost and I would, I was unable to fully grasp the idea of what the sovereignty of God and how it is fleshed out. I jotted this down. There is no deeper theological thought, no deeper doctrinal exercise, no deeper fountain to drink from, no deeper waters to wade into than that of the sovereignty of God. I'm gonna be honest. I cannot fully grasp the complexity of God's sovereignty. But within all my simplicity as a man, as a believer, I trust in his sovereignty. And as I stand before you today, I am so glad that God still sits atop his throne. I love what Matt Chandler says. I love Matt Chandler, a great preacher. He says, God is far greater, far more eternal, far more sovereign, far more wonderful. Now watch this. Than anything this world may take from you. Man, what a statement. Far more wonderful than anything this world can take from you. I think of James, the first apostle to give his life for Jesus. And you know what? As I stand here today, 
He knows that to be true. Don't believe the lie. James is not dead. He is very much alive. And he's living out this truth. Right now, I think back to Stephen just a few chapters ago, the very first Christian to be put to death for his faith in Jesus as the crowd stoned him. And you know what I begin to think? Man, he knows that this is very much true. As both James and Stephen on this day sit at the feet of Jesus. I watch this as the scripture continues to play out here in Acts chapter 12, verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and the light shone into the cell. And catch this, Peter's still sleeping, so much so that the angel had to strike Peter on the side and woke him up and said, quick, get up, the angel had said. And then the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Man, you read this and you go, what? What? The what is my kids would say? What is going on here? Peter is sleeping in prison in chains, shackled to soldiers on the hills of the successful execution of his friend and brother in Christ. And this guy is sleeping. Let me tell you something about the sovereignty of God. You ready? The sovereignty of God is the best sleep aid on the planet. Nothing is better than the sovereignty of God. No sleep aid is better. You ready? Finish this jingle. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit my pillow top. Y'all almost did. That was pretty good. You know what? Peter didn't even have a my pillow. And that guy is asleep in between two guards. How do you go to sleep in a prison you've been unfairly confined to? How do you sleep the night before an execution which you didn't earn? How do you sleep when a dear friend was killed by a callous coward? How do you sleep in prison? The sovereignty of God. I sleep well, not because I have all the answers, but I sleep well because I trust the one who does. You know, I think of uh, some of the sleep aids I've ever used. How many of y'all ever used NyQuil before? Right? Really the only time a preacher can drink alcohol and it'd be all right, right? Listen, how many of y'all have ever had Benadryl? Listen, NyQuil does pretty good, but I'm going to tell you something. When I put a Benadryl in my body, it is an elephant tranquilizer. I, I cannot stand to it. I, I just can't, I can't stay awake. And then I wake up the next day and guess what? I hate everybody, right? I just, I don't want to be near people. I want to do church stuff. Man, Benadryl absolutely rocks my world. But here I find Peter sleeping. He doesn't have NyQuil. And there's no Benadryl. And he's not sleeping on a my pillow. What? is going on. I love this. Matt Chandler would further on say this. He would say, I'm convinced that if we have a God-sized, God-given courage, then we will be freed up to be the people of God, living out the mission of God, marked by the joy of God. 
I love that because you know what? We see this played out in Peter's life. This statement could be said in Peter's life and stated this way, even no matter where you lay your head. There's a courage given by God in Peter's story, and it's unbelievable. I love this writing of Luke, the book of Acts. Three times it shares of Peter's arrest, and three times it shares of the triumph over those arrests by God. You know what it goes to show us, church? It goes to show us that God is in control of Peter's story. And you know what? It reminds us that God's in control of our story too. He's in control of your story and mine. You know, I love what one author wrote. He says this, I live under his heavens. The nations are under his authority. My destiny is under his direction. My past is under his grace. My future is under his control. My cares are under his wings and my sin is under his blood. That's the difference the sovereignty of God makes. Let me ask you something. Do you have a favorite pillow at your house? You know, it's your sleeping pillow. Nobody else needs to sleep on it. Nobody else needs to drool on it. It's your pillow. Now, I got one of those pillows in my house, right? And it's important that I have it. I was in Israel just a few months ago. And listen, I didn't pack things in my suitcase because I needed my sleeping pillow in the bag to go with me to Israel so that I could sleep in those hotels and have a good night's rest. Well, I've asked some of our, really our staff to provide some of their sleeping pillows. And here's what I've Here's what I have. Pastor David, our college young adult and our missions pastor. Uh, this is his sleeping pillow. Maybe my th- best, my favorite here. Only Judy can judge me, right? He loves Judge Judy. And so anyway, this looks like his sleeping pillow. I, I love this pillow. This was given to Pastor Zach um, by his wife. And this is how he sleeps each night. It says, I'd agree with you, but we'd both be wrong. Like, let that take a minute to sink in, right? Uh, she wins the day there. And then here's maybe my favorite pillow of all, Pastor Justin, over our students and our groups. This is his pillow. It's a cat taco on top of a pork sandwich flying through space on a rocket, okay? And I, I don't know what kind of pillow you sleep on. This one's weird. Uh, but I, I thought I would share with you Um, the pillow upon which I rest each night. And I try my best. It's not necessarily a physical pillow, although I do have one. Not this cool, but I have one. Charles Spurgeon, an incredible pastor generations ago, said this, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the believer lays their head on at night. The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the believer lays their head on at night. You know what? Even in my line of work, you see a lot of hard things, you hear a lot of hard things. Sometimes you just can't go home and, and cut it off. So you know what I find myself doing night in and night out? The minute my head hits the pillow, I'll be reminded that the very sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which I lay my head on each night. Now, now how is it? How is it that the sovereignty of God, you don't understand it fully, but how can it be so comforting? Because it is the knowledge and the comfort that God is on his throne and that nothing and no one can take it off, 
take him off. I love it said this way. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? That God is not caught off guard? That God is never surprised by, by anything? Therefore, he will never be in a position of being able uh, or unable to work, to help, to save, and to accomplish his will through your life and my life. Hey, you ready? Even when life doesn't make sense, it makes sense to God. And that's how we sleep at night. I love what the psalmist said. Some of y'all need to write this down because you don't sleep good. And you take NyQuil and Benadryl and it makes you angry too. And so I'm going to give you a better sleep aid a little bit this, this morning, okay? I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 3, 5. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustained me. Look at Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. You see, Peter slept between two prison guards chained on the eve of his execution because God is sovereign and keeps his promises. In fact, I'm sure as Peter laid there, he was reminded of what Jesus told him all the way back in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 18, where Jesus would share with him, Peter, you are going to grow old. And then men are going to take you to where you don't want to go. And you know what? Peter would grow old. Peter would be crucified upside down in a like way to the Lord, but in an unworthy way because he didn't even find it worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Peter slept because Jesus always keeps his promises and because God is sovereign. You know what I love as this chapter ends? We see that God's sovereignty has the final set. Why am I still holding this pillow? I'm past that segment. Okay. That God's sovereignty, that was a comfort zone for me. And now I want cat tacos. Anyway, God's sovereignty has the final say. Not evil men or kings. God's sovereignty has the final say. Hey, more than Peter's second prison escape orchestrated by God here in Acts chapter 12, this chapter is about God showing himself greater than Agrippa the first. Agrippa was a king, but God is the king. Think of it. God rescues Peter, Agrippa's prized prisoner, from his own prison and his own guards and punishes him then for his sin. Watch what takes on a little bit later on in Acts chapter 12, verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod was wearing his royal robe, sat on the throne, and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Now imagine if this played out in politics today. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. And he was eaten by worms. And the boy died. Hopefully not in that order. I just thought about that. Anyway, verse 24, and here's what I love the best about this. But the word of God continued to spread and continued to flourish. Acts chapter 12, the story of execution, escape, and now worms eating. It is a reminder, hear me church, that evil does not go unpunished by God. In this life or the next, justice will be had for those who engage in evil for those who are unjust, for those who are unbridled in their evil acts, all evil will be punished. Justice will be had. And you know what? I love what Agrippa tried to do here. He tried to 
kill the messengers of the word of God of the gospel. He tried to stop the gospel. And you know what? His death, his persecution served only as fertilizer to watch the gospel continue to grow and to flourish. You ready? You cannot, King Grippa cannot stop the gospel. And guess what? You can't even hope to contain it. Why? Because the gospel is the good news of God's love for us through his son, Jesus. And because that very same God, he is sovereign over all. I want to close with a, with a poem I did not write, but I do love. The picture painted in this poem, simply entitled The Master's Fire, is the picture of a goldsmith as he heats and he melts metal ore called gold. What he does is he rids it of its impurities, which is called dross. And there he works and he works to produce a gold that is pure. As I read this poem, here's what I want you to do. I want you to frame it up this way. Put it in the context of the sovereignty of God and your life when things just don't make sense. You and I are gold in the master's fire. Let me read this to you. Wives, wake your husbands up. This is good. They don't want to miss this. He sat by the fire of sevenfold heat as he watched by the precious ore. And closer he bent with a searching gaze as he heated it more and more. He knew he had ore that could stand the test and he wanted the finest of gold to mold as a crown for the king to wear, set with gems of price untold. So we laid our gold in the burning fire, though we wished that he would say nay. And he watched the dross that we had yet seen as it melted and passed away. And the gold grew brighter and yet more bright, and our eyes were so dim with tears as we saw the fire, not the master's hand, we question with anxious fear. Yet our gold shone out with a richer glow as it mirrored a form above that bent o'er the fire, though unseen by us, with a look of infinite love. Can we think that it pleases his loving heart to cause a moment of pain? Ah, oh, but no. He saw through this present cross the bliss of our eternal gain. So he waited there with a watchful eye, with a love as strong and sure, as his gold did not suffer a bit more heat than was needed to make it pure. And that's exactly how the sovereignty of God plays out in your life, in my life. Sometimes it doesn't make sense because all we can see is the fire, and we lose sight of the master's hand. But we always trust the master's hand because in the end, he will not subject us to any more heat than is needed to make you and I more like Jesus. Never once when in the fire, when life doesn't make sense, never once does the master leave. 
Never once is his hand unable to save. He's always there for you and me. He's always there. He'll save the day. Every single time. And so what do we do when your life doesn't make sense? When the things around you just don't make sense, what are we to do? When nothing else makes sense, prayer does. We pray. We saw that in the church. We lost so much. When nothing in life makes sense, what are we to do? You ready? We trust in the sovereignty of our God who loves us, who created us, who knows us, and he cares more for us than anyone else does. Trust in his sovereignty. And you ready, believer? Here's my challenge for you this morning. Sleep well tonight. Sleep well. For you are in the hands of a sovereign God who in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 reminds us that even though the enemy may mean it for evil, that God can work it for our good. That you are in the hands of a sovereign God. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Those who have been called according to his purpose. And so my challenge this morning is a little unique to every believer. Sleep good tonight. Sleep good. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to hear me. The Bible is, the Bible is clear. You are either Peter who is in Christ or you are Agrippa who is not in Christ. In the, in the conversation of the sovereignty of God, for Agrippa... He was saved by the sovereignty of God because of sin, yet Peter was saved. And it's the perfect picture of the invitation of the gospel for you today. That you don't have to be slayed by your sin, but that you could be saved by the Savior who is sovereign above all. Hey, believer, what's keeping you up at night? What's robbing you of sleep? What's robbing you of joy? What sin is it that's entered the picture? What attitude? What fear has raised up? You know what? Coronavirus is pretty scary. But there's other things that keep you up at night more. What is it? Why not today? Not talk with him. You give it to him. Why not trust him with it? And why not sleep well tonight? Let's pray together. Can Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.